That's awesome. So I'm also super encouraged to hear uh, from so many of you uh, how you're engaging in the Lent season that we're in as a church. Uh, many of you have grabbed those booklets and are uh, divining, or not divining, designing your own pathway uh, through uh, this Lenten season, this 40 days leading up to Easter. And I've heard different Folks of you, are, some of you are like fasting from certain foods. Some of you are limiting your cell phone usage. Uh, some of you are, are actually fasting from screens and media and all kinds of different things. And it's, I'm excited just to see what God does in each one of our lives as we turn our eyes uh, toward him. Um, me personally, I've given up cleaning out my belly button for Lent. Um, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, mm, that's a groaner. Uh, no, actually, I, I've given up. I, I'm trying to. I'm not, I have, I've already broke it like twice, but uh, I'm trying to stay off my cell phone before 8.30 in the morning and after 8.30 at night. That's my, I want to wake up in a peaceful, non-cell phone driven way, and I want to go to bed the same way, right? I want to, I want to wake up and, so anyway, again, I've broken it like twice, but, because um, I've been doing it three days, so uh, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Anyway, but uh, so so, but listen, we're all on our own journey. It's going to be great. There are some things we're doing corporately. If you remember, uh, if you looked at the booklet this last week, we were spending uh, a half hour in solitude with Jesus, just taking a time to pause and create a little wedge break in the middle of our weeks to say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes just alone with the Lord. And uh, see how that goes. This next week, we're going to try to pray every day of the week, just five minutes, okay? Every morning, pray. And uh, it's a little acronym, tacos. Is that cruel or what? Some of you are doing the food fast, and I'm, this is tacos. That's just awful. Anyway, but tacos, Thanksgiving adoration, see, uh, what is C? Uh, confession, others, and self. Okay, so that's tacos. So we're doing that, and just a, just a rhythm of of, of praying daily, uh, seeking the Lord's face. So again, recognize these are not. We're not trying to be legalistic. We're just trying to introduce new kinds of like spiritual exercises and rhythms that we can engage in. Tools that God has given us to help us grow in in our walk with Jesus. So that's what we're doing uh, together. It's not too late. If you didn't get a booklet, haven't started, that's okay. You only have a week to catch up on. And so if you go to the info counter, they've got a big stack of the little booklets, the Lent at Westwood booklets. Grab those. Join us. Uh, it's going to be a great uh, great series time together. We're also, in big church, uh, doing a series called Journey to the Cross. We're taking a deliberate walk through the book of John. John has seven discrete signs that he calls signs, miracles in the book, plus eighth, the eighth one, which is the resurrection. So there's really eight in total, but seven miraculous moments that John calls signs. He says they're, they're signs, they're pointing to something, something beyond themselves, something different, d- deeper, and, and John wants us to look at these signs and then understand what they mean. Right? And this is a journey we're taking through the Gospels as we go to the cross together as a community. And um, as uh, John Cardona pointed out last week, uh, John, the writer, John, um, has made it really clear for us what he's doing with these miraculous events, these signs, at the very end of his book. This is what he says. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you say, John, why do you have these seven signs, these eight signs, including the resurrection? Why have you curated this list? Okay, there's a million things you could have said. You could have written down all kinds of stuff, but you listed these deliberately. Why? Because I want you to see that Jesus is Christ. It's the word for Messiah. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one who will come and fulfill all the ancient promises of Israel. That he is Christ, Messiah, and Son of God. That he is not just a man, he is in fact the divine son sent from the Father, the word made flesh who has dwelt among us. So he is Christ, he is son of God, and that by believing in him you might have life in his name. So the end goal is that you might be alive, that you might have life, abundant life in Jesus now that you know that he is both Christ and son of God. There's your rubric. Okay, so now we have a lens to look through each one of these signs. Last time we looked at the water turning to wine, and this week we're going to look at another one in John chapter 4. So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. This is page 889 in the Black Pew Bible. So if you want to grab that, you can pull it out, and you'll find our reading on page 889. So here's the word of the Lord, John 4, verse 46. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from, Galilee, or from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked asked them the the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. So again, Jesus has done lots of miracles, right? Lots of miracles. This is a curated list of seven plus one, and John wants us to decode this. He wants us to be sort of investigative reporters or detectives or sleuths this morning. We're going to try to figure out what's going on. How does this sign show us who Jesus is and how we can have life in his name? So three surprising clues here I want to walk us through. Okay, the first one Actually, let me just give you all three, and then we'll walk through them, okay? Number one is Jesus' surprising rebuke. The second one is Jesus, or is the official surprising faith. 
And the third one is healing surprising reach. Okay? Jesus' surprising rebuke, the official surprising faith, and the healing's surprising reach. Let's dig into each one of these. Number one, Jesus' surprising rebuke. Am I the only one here who is surprised at the, the way Jesus responds to this guy? I mean, look, here's this royal official. He's uh, from Capernaum. He lo- likely works for Herod the Tetrarch, uh, who is king over Galilee. Um, he's called king, even though he's sort of a, like an under-king. Um, Capernaum's like 20 miles from Cana. So this is a full day's journey that he has to travel to get to Jesus. And he simply comes and asks for Jesus to come down and heal his dying son. This is a tender request of a father, right? And then Jesus says, verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's not very nice. It's not very nice, Jesus, you know. He's just, this guy wants his son to live. He's in trauma right now. Like, he's emotionally wrecked. Why are you being mean to him, you know? <laughs> why, why are you being hard on him? What's going on? I mean, is Jesus insensitive? Is he being insensitive here? What's, what's, what's the deal? Well, there's more than meets the eye here. And in the original languages, you would see it. The word you is plural both times. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, as the southerners would put it, y'all won't believe. So he's looking at the man, but he's speaking to the crowd. Okay? So he's, he's looking, this man has approached him, he's looking at him, but he's speaking to the group. Does it make sense? So there's something going on here. He's rebuking the crowd itself. Now, if you look back up at verse 44, we didn't read it, but Jesus said there that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So Jesus is back where he grew up, right? And he says, I'm not going to be honored here. Okay? But the very next verse says, but they welcomed him when he arrived. Well, what's that all about? Well, there must be something dishonoring in their welcome. There's a difference between honor and welcome. They, when he arrived, they were excited, and they're like, yay, Jesus is here. But Jesus is saying, this is not, they're not honoring me. What's going on? Well, when you look at the panoramic view of what's going on here, they, they're interested in a show. The last time he was here, he made them a truckload of wine, right? Like, they want more wine. They want another show. This is the conjurer who makes every, like, they're looking for something impressive. Uh, they're looking for miracles. They want some sort of display of power. They're not really interested in Jesus as much as they're interested in what he can do to show off and impress them. So they're looking for a sideshow here. And so when this official shows up and he says, can you heal my son? They all lean in and they're like, oh, oh, look, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I can't. And Jesus is like, dude, what is wrong with you people? Unless you see signs and wonders, you're never going to believe here. In other words, I'm not going to play your game. You want to be entertained? You want to be wowed? You want to have a little show? I'm not going to play your game. I am not a circus performer. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. See, there's a huge, dis- di- there's a huge difference. 
between pursuing Jesus to get him and pursuing Jesus to get his stuff. It's a totally different thing, isn't it? It's one thing to pursue Jesus because you love him. You want more of him. It's another thing to pursue Jesus just to have blessings or get his stuff, right? The Galileans didn't want Jesus. They wanted his stuff. They wanted a show. Maybe an illustration would help. Imagine you're a young lady, and uh, your parents are really wealthy, you know, super wealthy. Okay, trust fund wealthy, silver spoon wealthy. And you go off to a prep school somewhere, and you're getting all your education, and some boy falls in love with you, and you're all excited, and he proposes, and you say yes, and you're in love, and you're planning the wedding, and all of a sudden he discovers in one of those little legal meetings that the way your family's wealth is structured, it's in a trust, and he'll never gain access to it. And the next day he dumps you. How would you feel? Like totally betrayed and used, right? We can do that with Jesus. You realize this. When we come to Jesus to try to get his stuff, his blessings, the things that he can give us, but we don't want him for himself, we're gold diggers. We're gold diggers. And Jesus says, I'm not going to let you I'm not going to let you go down there because I'm the real treasure. The stuff I give is just the the bonus. The real treasure is who I am. I'm not going to let you devalue your life by settling for my blessings when you could have me. I'm not going to play that game. So the crowd's not going to get their show here. Jesus is not interested, listen, Jesus is not interested in being a means to an end of your own happiness or your comfort or whatever. He's interested in being your very life itself. He is life. He won't let you settle for something second rate. His blessings pale in comparison to the treasure of who he is. Jesus is not some addition to our lives. He is our life. Amen? And so is rebuke. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Number one, Jesus' surprising rebuke. Got it? Got it? No, nobody? Just, did you get it? Okay, number two, the official surprising faith. The official surprising faith. Undaunted by Jesus' rebuke here, he presses on. In verse 49, the official says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus says to him, verse 50, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Friends, this is so unexpected. I'm so surprised by this. This guy has no proof. He has no guarantee. Nothing in writing. There's nothing to go on here except the fact that Jesus says, no, he'll be fine. Notice Jesus doesn't say he healed him either. He just says he'll survive. He'll be okay. He'll recover. It's going to be okay. He left his son, and he was like, I'm pretty sure this guy's going to die. And Jesus says, no, he'll be be okay. He'll live. Okay. Right? I mean, I can't... But notice, Jesus, again, he's not playing to the crowd. He's not going to do what the crowd wants. They want to show. Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing that. 
I'm not going to let you manipulate me here. He does it in his own way, subtly. He'll live. Jesus doesn't even show his cards. He's going to do something, and he doesn't tell him what's coming. I love this. All this guy has to go on is Jesus' promise, his word. His son will live. And he turns around and he goes home. And it's not just surprising that he did that. It's surprising who did it. Because this is, this is, a, this is, an official, this is a Roman official. This is working for the Roman government. Yes, maybe for Herod, but Herod is, is part of the Roman power structure and all of this. It's funny where faith is rising. If you look at the first few chapters of, of uh, the book of John, Jesus goes to the temple. He doesn't find faith there and clears the temple. And then he goes to Samaria, and what does he find in Samaria? The woman at the well who believes in him, and there's a revival in town in Sychar. So you go to the epicenter of, of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. There's no faith there. You go to Samaria, and they're coming to Jesus. He goes to his hometown here in Galilee. The people you would think would receive him and welcome him and embrace him and honor him, and they don't. And who is the one who's responding? It's this official, this sellout to the Roman government, a reject, like a tax collector, right? Just somebody on the fringe. Nobody likes this guy. And here's the point. Faith grows in unexpected places. Faith grows in unexpected places. One of the great ironies, you can't miss it if you read the Gospels, is that faith grows in unexpected places. It does not grow in the affluent, upwardly mobile, religiously sensitive, Bible-knowledgeable, conservative community. That's not where Jesus receives his welcome. Where does he receive his welcome? Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, the poor and the powerless, the foreigners, the outcasts. And one of the things that challenges me is the fact that the people who felt furthest from God always gathered nearest to Jesus. The people who felt furthest from God always were gathering nearest to Jesus. Is that true of us? Is that the vibe we give off with our lives? Somebody just this last week was kind of church shopping and asked me, she came up, she said, I hope you're tough on sin. And I, I kind of pregnant pause, and I said, I'm really tough on sin but I'm really tender towards sinners. That's who we want to be, friends. Tough on sin, tender toward sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. The holiness of God is full of mercy, friends. And you can come near in Jesus. So the official surprising faith, second clue. Third clue, healing surprising reach. So this official heads home. Um, 
It take, took him probably about a day to get to Jesus. It's going to take him a day to get back home. And so he overnights somewhere. We're not sure where, but he travels back. He overnights. He gets up in the morning. He hits the road. And on the road, the next day, he meets his servants who are coming uh, to fetch him. And uh, he sees these familiar faces in verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when, they began, when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday, at the seventh hour, uh, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. Can you believe it? The fever broke at exactly the moment when Jesus said, your son will live. And he begins to realize, he puts it together. Jesus healed my boy from 20 miles away. He had traveled a whole day to come ask Jesus to come with him back home. Yes? And Jesus did not give him what he asked for. He said, come with me and heal my boy. Jesus did not answer his prayer, did not give him what he wanted. He gave him something better. He gave him healing at a distance. Jesus' power, listen, this is amazing. Jesus' power traveled, surged 20 miles in a moment. Who does this? In a world without remote controls and wireless networks and GPS signals and cell phones and lasers and Bluetooth. In a world where they had no concept of this kind of work. No movies where, you know, Kylo Ren is doing force communication with, no, with Ray. None of this, right? This is their world. Jesus beams supernatural power instantly into a dying boy 20 miles away. And his fever breaks like that. All without fanfare (laughs) or flourish. No abracadabra. No genie in a bottle. No show, just the quiet go. Your son will live. Who would have thought? Jesus snatches this little boy back from the brink of death. Who does that? Who does that? Who can pull this off? And I think this is the main thing John wants us to dig on. This long-distance healing. What does this tell us about who Jesus is? is. It's one thing to heal. That's that's a big enough deal, admittedly, yes? But to heal at distance, long-range precision strike, who pulls that off? Who can do this? Now, remember, John told us where we're going. John 20, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written into this book, but these. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a rubric. Remember, Jesus as Christ, Son of God, so that we believe and have life. That's the schema, okay? Let's break it down. First thing we see here, Jesus is wielding power of the messianic age. Jesus is wielding power of the messianic age. 
In Isaiah 35, this is what the Old Testament prophesied. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. At the coming of Messiah, at the beginning of the kingdom of God, this is what will happen. These are the things that will be the marks of the coming of Messiah and the kingdom of God. This is the very text that Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4 when he sat down in the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from the Isaiah scroll in Galilee, and he, which is just down the road from Canaan. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is, I am here to liberate, to heal, to inaugurate the kingdom work of God. I'm here. And when John the Baptist, remember John the Baptizer who identified Jesus, at some point he was in jail and, and he's sitting in his cell and he's losing faith and confidence in Jesus and he sends a message to Jesus and he says, look, are you the one we were hoping for? Is it, we need to look for somebody else. Remember this? And Jesus sends him a message back. Do you remember what it is? This is in Luke chapter 7. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. So Jesus, how do, how do we authenticate who you are? It is this list here. It is his healing messianic power. And here's the reality. One day Jesus will come in his kingdom in all of its fullness. Yes? And all that is wrong will be made right. And all that is ugly will be made beautiful. And all that is broken will be made whole. And all will be set to rights. But what Jesus is doing in his first coming in his inaugurating of this messianic age as he is dragging a little bit of this messianic future back into the present and dripping it in so that we will see who he is and all that he will one day accomplish. And so he is a preview of the fullness of the messianic age to come. But Jesus is exercising his authority and power in this messianic way in the present. So we are seeing that he is Messiah, he is Christ, he is the anointed one of God. That's the first identity marker, remember, that John pointed out. What's the second one? Jesus is exercising authority as the Son of God as well, as the Son of God. That's the second one, remember that? Jesus here is more than just a miraculous healer. There's more than meets the eye here. Let me try to show it to you. Jesus is revealing his omnipresence. Do you see this? Omnipresence is a doctrinal tag that we use in theology. It means that God is all present. He is everywhere present at once. Okay? Omnipresent. Jesus is showing us here that he is not bound by the limitations of his own body. Do you see that? He can reach out and touch this little boy 20 miles away and heal him without moving an inch. Whose power is this? 
This is the power of God alone. And so in this moment, the, the mask slips, you know, it's like, you know, Lone Ranger, he's been disguised, and all of a sudden the mask slips, and all of a sudden we begin to see who he really is. This is no mere conjurer of cheap tricks. This is none other than the Son of God, the Word made flesh, God with us. He's Son of God. He's omnipresent. His power has no physical bounds. He is able to do this like none other. Secondly, we get a glimpse of his omniscience. Omniscience, another theological tag. Omniscience means all-knowing. All-knowing, that God is all-knowing, that, that his knowledge is total of all things past, present, and future, that nothing takes him by surprise. And Jesus here demonstrates knowledge beyond the ordinary. For example, how does he know which boy to heal? He's never met him. He, does, he doesn't ask for a description. He doesn't get an address here. Or a name, there's no patient ID. How does he know? How does he know? He doesn't even ask for the name of the father, does he? He can't even trace it through. There's no algorithm to figure this out. He simply knows. He simply knows. And John wants us to wonder, how does he know that? How does he know that? There's also a glimpse of his omnipotence. Another theological tag, omnipotence, omnipotence, all-powerful. That God is free to do whatever he pleases with or without regard to the physical limitations of his creation. And in this case, Jesus' healing power changed the course of this young boy's life. No doubt overriding numerous laws of thermodynamics and violating the space-time continuum. But when you're God, you can do that. (laughs) And John wants you to see, this is no ordinary healing here. That Jesus is wielding the power of the messianic age, yes, but also he is exercising authority as the son of God in power. He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. We just get a glimpse of this. And this is the very same Jesus who is now offering you in himself life, abundant life. Let me give you three takeaways just to carry home with you today, okay? First, Jesus is far closer than you, than we ever imagined. Jesus is far closer than we imagined. He's, He's present everywhere at once. No matter where you go, no matter what you face, no matter how lonely you feel, God is with you. Jesus is near. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone. He is closer than the very air you breathe, always. Secondly, Jesus knows us more deeply than we realize. Jesus knows us more deeply than we realize. Friends, Jesus knew this little boy. He knew his name. 
He knew his home. He knew his bed. He knew his favorite toy. He knew the tone of his voice. He knew about those four hairs in the back of his head that wouldn't lay down straight. He knew everything about him. He knew his hopes, his dreams, his fears, his failures. He knew it all. And he knows you. Jesus knows you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. He calls you by name. And he would move heaven and earth to be near to you. In fact, he already has. Friends, do you realize he sees us all the way down? As the psalmist says, he knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He knows us. We are intimately his. And it is in full knowledge of the complexity and mess of who we are that Jesus came and laid down his life for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was in full knowledge of all the stuff we try to hide and pretend isn't there. Fool ourselves into thinking isn't real. You realize God has seen it all. You don't have to hide it. He sees the depths of who you are and in love gave himself for you. You can give yourself to him. Thirdly, Jesus is far more able than we tend to believe. Jesus is far more able than we tend to believe. Jesus wields great power. Great power. There is no problem in our lives that Jesus will look at and say, Yikes! Don't know what to do with that. No. It's not a single thing that will mess him up. You believe that? Your drug addiction? Your alcohol problem? His prescription meds you keep refilling and stealing out of other people's medicine cabinets? The pornography you keep hidden? The cutting, the eating disorders, the anger, the bitterness, the rage, the unforgiveness, the failed marriages, the trashed careers, the lack of options. Jesus says, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your weary souls. Since there is no burden so heavy that Christ cannot carry it. He already carried the weight of the world when he died on the cross. He can carry you. All of it. 
Won't you cast all your cares on him? For he cares for you. He's stronger than you know. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You did not withhold the most precious thing in the universe, your son. And you sent him among us to show us a glimpse, to lift the veil, to to show us a hint of all the cosmic power that is coursing through his life that will in the end make all things new. Oh, we cannot wait for the kingdom and all the blessed healing and hope and goodness that can come, that will come. And yet right now we live in this conflicted space, ravaged by sin, broken by sickness, haunted by death. we know that in you is life. In your son is life. That when we realize that he is the Christ, that he is your son, that when we believe on him, trust ourselves to him, that we can have life in his name, true life that begins now and echoes into eternity begin living into the healing, restoring power of Jesus even now. Father, help us to run to Christ, who is better than we deserve and more than we could ever ask for. Help us hold fast to him, to know that he is strong, that he is enough. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in a very fitting way, we're going to celebrate.